This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And guess We're back. what? I was gonna say <laughs> I think this we've is earned the it. one time I'm gonna let you say it. Mm-hmm. I did it. I blew it already. Yeah. <laughs> like the dinosaurs. We're back. We're back. Uh, Andrew and Craig story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, has this been the longest in ten years that we've ever? Because I know we went. There was a gap when I when Henry was born. But I don't think it was two months. Okay, um, so let's just say this is the longest we've gone in a decade without recording an episode of Overdue. It definitely is. I mean, now we did. I mean, we did immediately before that record like more episodes of Overdue in a week than I think we ever had. Before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be a fun time for us together. Tell everyone how that baby is. How's that? Ba- I know how that baby is because we talk about it all the time. Just like, geez, shut up about your baby already. But everybody at home hasn't heard you talk about your baby on and on and on for like two months. So how's it tell them how your baby's doing? We're going to talk about what, whatever book you read. What book did mm-hmm. you read? I read The Library at Mount Char. By Scott by, Hawkins. Yes, Scott Hawkins. Um, let me tell you about my baby. He's a mm-hmm. great little guy. Okay. Simon's, Good start. Simon's a cool little guy. Simon the baby. And I love him. Mm-hmm. And uh, started smiling intentionally recently. Recently, he also made a he made a frown today after Laura sneezed that mm-hmm. sent us both to the moon. It was the best face <laughs> we've ever seen. <laughs> Henry's always smiled when either of us have sneezed, including now. <laughs> well, he so Simon was asleep and Laura sneezed. Mm-hmm. First, he was startled, and then he very deliberately made a sad face, <laughs> like he was from a. 1930s comic strip like mm-hmm. he is pretty great mm-hmm. um he is not i don't know i've read some i've been reading books yeah what book what, what, what books you've been reading i've been reading some books let me tell you uh there there may wind up being an episode overdue about good dog carl because i have a lot of problems oh, with that book okay <laughs> Oh yeah, that's yeah right. That's the one where the dog tries unsuccessfully to kill a child multiple times. <laughs> uh, if you're reading that book as any other, uh, you know, if you have any other interpretation of Good Dog Carl, uh, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I read what I read like another one and a half of those Mars. Uh, like bro dude military books. Oh, the red the rising red planet books. Yeah, they've been all right. Yeah, because some <laughs> of our folks okay. were like we're like, they get better, please. You have to understand. Yeah, so I don't know that we'll do episodes about them, but it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Okay. Um I read and I posted about this in our Discord. I read a an annotated version of The Hobbit that Susanna's grandfather had left us. I think yeah. Douglas Anderson is the guy who annotated it. And it's all like the annotations are fine. Good job, Doug. But the best 
things in the entire book are all the like 60s and 70s era illustrations from all the international versions of the, oh yeah of the, the portuguese Hobbit. ones in particular that you were portuguese showing me bilbo looks like ziggy in a <laughs> david the gnome hat <laughs> and it's incredible it's great yeah um i'm so i'm glad that you got to do some reading like some fun reading yeah i mean reading the, reading this book was fun yeah um, I just have to make content out of it now. Yes. I don't have to make content about any of the other ones. That's true. And I don't have to make my baby into content. He's mm-hmm. already... He's already plenty of content. Yeah. Jeez. Boy, that content mill don't stop, huh? Yeah. Making content every day. Multiple times. Oh, boy. Um, so let's do the <sighs> podcast that we haven't done in a while. I'm excited to to get on this horse with you again. What is So this is a podcast where one of us reads a book and then we tell the other person and all the people at home all about it. Yeah. And, but first we talk about the author and whatever like weird stuff we could dig up on the internet about them and their life and their times. Yes. So what can you tell me about Scott Hawkins who is definitely not the Dilbert guy, Scott Adams. Correct. And nor is Scott Hawkins, I believe, the Indiana politician named mm-hmm. Scott Hawkins either, mm-hmm. who messed okay. up my Google searches. <laughs> um, I also want to flag that this was uh, a Patreon recommendation from Judith. Thank you, Judith, uh, who said, Dear Andrew and Craig, I'm absolutely thrilled to f- support the podcast. Two of you are lovely human beings. The podcast is sweet and clever. It's refreshing and wholesome without being lame. Whoa. Which rules. Awesome. Yeah. I would love for you one day to read The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. I have a personal correspondence with the author, and he is a wonderful person. Oh. Thank you for all the smiles and insights, Judith. So So, so there's there's an outside chance that Scott could listen. Yeah. In which case, Scott, I'm sorry for (laughs) mentioning you in the same sentence as Scott Adams, the horrible Dilbert man. (laughs) Listen, we're all lovely, wonderful people here. We're probably going to get along. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you that this was Scott Hawkins' debut novel, uh, pubbed in 2015, I believe. Yeah. And there's not much on Scott, Scotty boy. Um but according to his website, I know he was born in Idaho in 1969. He went to the University of South Carolina for computer science. And he, quote, worked a variety of computer jobs, usually having to do with Unix, Linux, though there have been some occasional forays into Windows development. Ooh. The way that he says that makes me think that he hates Windows. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the, that is the way that people who are into Linux and Unix think about Windows is, uh-huh. is like it's a it's a thing that you touch if you have to, but you really don't want to. Yes. Because yes. of all the proprietary closed source. <laughs> so I don't know if you. Sorry, went, Scott. I don't know if you. Have <laughs> I, been kid, I kid all the Linux people to Scott's website, Andrew. Mm-hmm. But let me read to you his bibliography. Okay? Okay, yeah, just do it. The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. Mm-hmm. The Linux Desk Reference by Scott Hawkins. <laughs> Linux Shell Programming to- Training Course by Ellie Quigley and Scott Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Apache for Web Professionals uh-huh. by Scott Hawkins. BEA mm-hmm. WebLogic Server Administration Kit by Scott Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Apache Web Server Administration by Scott Hawkins. And that one has a, 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 like a clip art version of the Hydra on its cover. 
Mm-hmm. Not really sure what that's about. Well, uh, Apache is the many-headed beast that you must slay if you <laughs> wish to publish a website. <laughs> so I also found an interview, a 2003 interview on helpnetsecurity.com. With this Scott. Is a, so we found mostly stuff from Scott's past life, huh? Yeah. The internet is forever, and he helped build it. Um, where he talks about getting his first computer at age 12, which was a Commodore VIC-20. Does that, does that mean anything to you? No, it's before okay. my time. Um, he got started as a programmer and then got into system administration. And he says he he began technical books, uh, writing technical books, because he was a frustrated novelist. <laughs> he said this back in 2003. Uh, in 1999, he was sending like novel query letters to publishers with no luck whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And he saw a posting from a company called Informix who wanted writers with IT, specifically Linux experience, who could mm-hmm. also, you know, string some words together. Yeah, because it's rare to find Linux people who can actually speak to normal humans <laughs> in a language that they understand. Again, I kid, I kid all the Linux people out there. Uh, so that's, that's where he, what he was doing, and he, I think he was working, you know, as a full-time IT person leading up to the publication of this novel. This is his only work of fiction um and there are a lot of people who have you know asked him to write a sequel if he will he's said he's been working from on like a detection detection detective novel um <laughs> sort of a quote noir take on scooby-doo he i said. suppose they detect yeah detectives they do. Mm-hmm. it's um, about detecting clues and and uh murderers yes and this book was written in 2012. He wrote uh, a big draft, and his wife was his first reader and said, I love the first two-thirds. The mm-hmm. end is crap. You got to change it. And okay. so he came back next year having <laughs> fixed it, I guess. Um, I could see, based on how the first two-thirds go, I could see a, a version of it that goes like very, very nihilist in a way that the book ultimately doesn't quite end up going. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and he also said he had an idea for the relationship between the character father and Carolyn mm-hmm. um, in a previous story that he'd like been working on in the early 90s. Um, and what else? I don't know. He kind of like... His you said web- that he wrote the book in 2012. I just want to be clear. It was published in 2015. 2015. 2015. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's about it. Like, his his digital paper trail kind of ends in 2019. As like, the blog on his website ends there. He had one or two tweets from 2020. And I did find... Same. Like, Uh, yeah we all did uh i did find him on like a small book podcast like a few weeks ago on youtube Mm -hmm. so he's still out there i don't know come on in scott the water's fine (laughs) yeah um he said he had a new draft after after a major rewrite of this his dark scooby-doo book that he was working on (laughs) Uh, scooby don't and he he has (laughs) that was funnier than he that was funnier than you let on, and I just wanted. <laughs> Maybe you aren't used to like laughing at my jokes. Sure, anymore, sure. But I thought that was pretty. Yeah, funny. it's not bad. <laughs> um, 
And he said about a sequel, I'll bring this back up, and he did a Reddit AMA about this. Reddit MMA about this. Um, <laughs> can you tell I haven't done a podcast in a while? Uh, he said, I've noodled around with a couple ideas for a sequel to the point where there's an outline and maybe a dozen sample pages. I'm going to be vague here to avoid spoilers, but coming up with a suitable bad guy is tricky. So thanks to yeah. everyone who's asked about it. I, would, I think everyone would be happier if I let it percolate for a bit. In a, in a book that is... And a reminder that we have the spoiler tag at the beginning of every episode. Yeah. Or at least many episodes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a book where uh, the protagonist like successfully slays God. Yeah. You have a hard time coming up with an antagonist after that. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. I think there's maybe a, a few things about how to categorize this book if you can that will come up in our discussion yeah because it does it is it's i am surprised to hear having done no author research because i just wanted to make sure that you got the full overdue experience on your thank you (laughs) i appreciate that first time back um i'm surprised he doesn't have more stuff out there like Mm. i i guess i get being a technical writer who has like one book in them that you're really confident about and that has like all of your ideas in it. And then after that, it's like, well, how do I do that all over again? Because that one's been percolating in my brain for, for decades, but it's very like, it's, it's a very confident and interesting book. It was like mildly buzzy when it came out. I'm, I am surprised that he doesn't have more out, but I guess I, yeah, more is, more is coming. So I guess we'll see. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, let's take a quick break and then you can tell me what happens in the book. Craig, you haven't uh, done a podcast in a while, so it's possible that you have forgotten, perish the thought, about the fine folks at Squarespace. Oh my gosh, you're right. I don't... Who? Squarespace, it's a website that helps you make websites. Ooh. Their name is is implies that they sell perfectly square homes or, or rooms or something, or, or they like help you decorate perfectly square spaces. But no, it's a website that helps you make websites. All right, you you're gonna have how- to break this down for me, boss, because I don't really get it. You know, a okay. website that helps you make websites, that makes other websites like a recursive website. Whoa, uh, mama mia! Uh, Squarespace Yahoo. gives you beautiful templates and drag and drop tools. And 24-7 customer support and a million billion other features. I haven't counted, but I think it's like a million billion other yeah. features. That simplifies the process of setting up a website so you need to muck around in code or know stuff that Scott Hawkins knows yeah, about right. Apache okay. and other things. <laughs> Let me tell you about some of the Squarespace features that I think you're just going to love. Okay. Uh, you can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logos. So your messaging is consistent and effective. Two good things. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. And you can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you know what's even better is you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability, so if you do have to leave for the Apache pastures, 
you can take all your stuff with you. If this sounds good to you, you can head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Andrew, Overdue Greg. is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sounds great. What is that? Well, you know how Scott Hawkins used to write technical manuals and user guides for software? Y- yes, and I bet that was hard. <laughs> When's a time in your life that you've wished that like life had a user manual? Like always? Yeah, right. <laughs> Like I'm, I could use one right now. I got yeah. a new baby. Preferably one of those ones that like comes with a car seat, where it's got like six languages all in one, like big fat little book. Yeah, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't exist. Uh, so when stuff gets tough, you get a little stuck. You don't know what to do next. It can be frustrating not to have a manual written by Scott Hawkins to turn to. But therapists are trained to be the next best thing. Uh, and therapy is pretty cool. People I'm close to have used BetterHelp specifically to talk through issues at work. Uh, develop strategies for navigating relationships and in general it's like a way to build your coping skills and self-empowerment that'll help you get through the day uh when you don't have that user manual that i'm saying that i'm reminding you does not exist uh so as the world's largest therapy service BetterHelp has matched three million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available a hundred percent online plus it's affordable just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist if things aren't clicking you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime it couldn't be simpler no waiting rooms no traffic no endless searching for the right therapist Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overdue. So, Andrew. Craig. In we're a, back. <laughs> in a 2015. <laughs> you said I could do it. <laughs> You're right, and I didn't put a more. I didn't say how many. Oh, no, you didn't say how many. It. I can do it as many times as I want. No. All right, what were you going to ask? Okay, in a 2015 interview with the Quillery, uh, Scott Hawkins was asked to sum up this book in 140 characters. How quaint! Uh, he said, "What's that? Why 100? That's a random. That's a, a weird number yeah, of characters. It's like half of the. It's number? like half of a half of a tweet. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird." He said, Monty Python presents The Godfather starring the X-Men. Okay. Okay, so just file that away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, V.E. Schwab, Victoria Schwab, was writing for NPR 2017 uh, an article called Just Trust Me in Praise of Strange Books uh, and kind of went on a riff of like, I don't, if you're recommending a book to me, uh, Schwab says, like, don't say, you know, do you want sci-fi or fantasy? It's like, do you want a book where a sad person has to fight a ghost? Like, like come up with kind of more descriptive, weirder, but truer things about a book. And do you want a book where a sweet boy becomes the literal son? Yeah. <laughs> so Schwab set, uh, refers to this book as an ambitious and perplexing debut that sits somewhere on the border of thriller and speculative fiction, morbid and action-packed and existential and utterly resistant to categorization. So I offer you half a tweet and a well-regarded author's take on what the heck is this book? That's such a... 
if you if I'm Scott Hawkins and we've been doing a lot of sort of supposing about Scott Hawkins because yeah. he's left us so little information about I think he has purposefully cultivated a space where we can of mystery, fill in yeah. some mm-hmm. of the mystery. But you, you read a thing in, na- in National Public Radio. Yeah. NPR of all places yeah. where VE Schwab gives you an amazing backhanded compliment by <laughs> mentioning your book in a in a piece that's about weird books. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's that's where this be- belongs. It is genre bendy in a way that like a fantasy novel, there's a lot of world building going on and we're going to talk about it a lot, I think, because that's just that's how we That's what's here. That's how we pick these apart because that's that's our brain on like gold and silver age square enix games Mm -hmm. where every final fantasy was just about like oh here's another sad sword boy let me figure out how magic works (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh and so when i open a new fantasy book that's kind of the tack that i take so there is that but most of what there is to talk about the book is like the twists and the turns and the and the surprises and the the character dynamics and things that are not necessarily always true in in fantasy or sci-fi, which can tend toward the the tropey and like the character typey in a way that uh-huh. this, like, I don't know how. I mean, we've read a lot of fantasy books for the show. I have not encountered a lot of like super murderers with helmets made out of clotted blood who wear tutus to like shoot up a police station. <laughs> so Whoa. like, it's not. <laughs> Whoa, that's a mad lib. <laughs> and even to say that they that he shoots it up is not really a misnomer because it's it's like he has a spear that he can like throw that like comes back to him. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if you're doing a fancy novel and you put a spear in it and you and it doesn't come back when you throw it. How does your magic system get, work? Yeah, getting some big Hades energy <laughs> off this. So okay, paint me a picture. What's the premise from your from your mouth? Of the library at Mount Char. <laughs> All right. The library at Mount Char is a book about killing God, but then realizing that the universe is a nuanced place, even when oh. you have enough power to kill God and take oh, his place. No. <laughs> I have regrets. Does that, does that do it? Yeah, it does. All right. So we most of most of the book, I don't. I'm, I didn't. I didn't like break it down in terms of like character POV chapters. But you've. I, I would say you've got probably like fifty percent of it from the point of view of Carolyn, uh, who is a she is a human, but she is this pupil of this guy called named father we don't uh other other names for him include like adam black i think and some other ones in a bunch of languages carolyn is like a she's called a librarian though that translation is from some other language and it's maybe overly literal in a way that doesn't quite capture the nuance of what she is what she's doing uh but she is kind of a demigod through her association with father who is basically god okay and she has a bunch of siblings not like actual literal siblings but adopted siblings who are also librarians is it they're like 
like a dozen of them. I think I saw. There's a, there's a dozen of them, and that each each librarian responds to like a different catalog. They're called. Mm. Um, so there's one catalog that's all about like healing. There's one that's all about war. There's one about uh, languages. There's one about like animal husbandry. Basically, <laughs> just like becoming one with the animals. Okay. Um, there's one that's mostly necromancy. I think like th- there are a lot of different catalogs and the way that it has the the way that Hawkins has set it up is that father is God, right? He knows everything about all the catalogs. Each catalog contains Carolyn sort of pushes back a little bit when people describe it as magic, but it is essentially magic. It's just like this, this deep arcane knowledge of the, of the universe that, father knows all of and then each of the 12 kids is allowed to know like a slice of because and the 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 thing that they are the most like prohibited from doing is learning outside their catalogs do they get to talk to each other yeah they talk to each other but when the conversation comes to like hey you revive people from you you, like heal and injuries up to and including reviving people from being dead and there's some like minor minor technicality about reviving people from being dead like why do people not remember the first time they get killed when they come back but then subsequent times they remember more and the person who that question is is posed to is like well i could, i could talk about it but it's in my catalog and i really shouldn't tell you so like god has created a a system where he can you know he he is teaching these children things and he is outsourced, you know, he's delegating some stuff, but he doesn't want anybody to know enough stuff to become God. <laughs> well, I, mm, yeah. Because his, his discipline is, is often sadistic and, and swift. And many of the, many of the children, I call them children. They're all like in their mid thirties. Okay. The main <laughs> action of the book, but all these, all these kids hate him. Oh, good. So been so awful to them. And they've all been like wrenched from their normal human families to come and be weird demigods to this, this strange guy who cooks kids alive in his bull shaped grill uh, (laughs) as a punishment. Okay. Yeah. Are they like cloistered in the, in this library? Are they allowed to leave? They are, they are mostly cloistered. Now, Carolyn herself does, um, she refers to they're they're in America. She refers to the people who she goes at, at she goes out and interacts with sometimes as Americans. Like that's that's she has constructed this separation between her and like regular humans. Even though she does remember some human things like Reese's peanut butter cups, um, which if you're gonna remember something, that'd be pretty high up on the list. You know, I'd rather remember the. Like the the eggs and the Christmas trees, I don't know. Those have, I've always liked those better than the plain old cups. How much Re- how much Reese's experience do you have? I don't mind a Reese's. It took me a long portion of my life to come around to a Reese's. Because I so you know how you know do, do you know the difference between the eggs and the cups? What is different the about the eggs? When, so the where that, what are the, do you eat the trees? Yeah, so the trees come out at at around the holidays. The eggs come out around Easter, uh-huh. popular Easter candies. And the big difference is, you know, when you eat a Reese's Reese's cup, 
they've got the thin layer of chocolate on top and bottom, and then they've got kind of that more rigid, thicker, like wall of chocolate around the perimeter. Oh, is the egg made of that chocolate? No, that- the the egg in the tree is like all the thin layer of chocolate. Oh. So the the peanut butter to chocolate ratio is and higher. You, yeah, you peanut love butter. peanut butter too. You mm-hmm. want more peanut butter. Yeah, even though I don't know how I would classify the filling of a Reese's cup, a peanut butter is not what I would call it. <laughs> <but> <laughs> the sugary, salty, vaguely peanut buttery thing inside of that. NPR <laughs> new NPR article from Ve Schwab about what is on the inside of the Reese's peanut butter cup and how mm-hmm. it defies categorization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so anyway, that's one of the things she remembers about. Being <laughs> Hey, Tangents, welcome to podcasting. Um, So, yeah, most of the book we get is from the perspective of Carolyn, who obviously has a lot of things to hide, lots of ulterior motives, is acting strange from the jump in a way that that, uh, telegraphs to you, the reader, hey, there's more about this than... There's more to Carolyn and her actions than it seems. Yeah, okay. And then a lot of the, like 40% of the book, I'd say probably is from the perspective of Steve, who is just a normal guy who, for some reason, Carolyn seems to, seems to be invested in Hmm. and he gets swept up in all this stuff in a way that he doesn't quite understand, but then he becomes very important later on, especially. And then like maybe the last like 10%, is from the perspective of this guy named Irwin, who we only check in with occasionally, but is like a classic. Uh, he's a like a, an Afghanistan war vet, I think. He's a classic sort of uh, bad boy who who has seen it all and and is like hyper competent when it comes to uh, sleuthing and and killing people and. <laughs> How does he just fit like a into the story? He's like an uber competent like government agent. Yeah, it's some of the only a little bit of the book is from his perspective because he's very much like a utility player. But then the book also like comes back around and ends with him. So yeah, it's a lot. Okay, tell me how <laughs> any of these characters meet. Carolyn meets Steve. Well, do you want to hear how they meet in the in like chronologically in the story? arc of the book or you want to hear how they meet like in order in the order that you would discover it in the book as you read it i don't whatever you think is the best <laughs> way <laughs> carolyn meets steve in this bar and she knows somehow that he has a you know he, he's been he hasn't been doing this for for like maybe a decade, but he used to be kind of an expert lock picker. Mm. And so she needs him to come to this house with her and, and like break into it. And she's going to give him like 300 and something thousand dollars to do it. And he's like, well, I, I don't, I kind of been trying not to do this stuff, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go to do it, but then Carolyn kills him and but then she seems really upset about how she killed him. And this is I I say this to set up how much it's clear that you the reader aren't privy to mm. as you as you read the opening part of this book. Like it it is clear that Carolyn is trying to hide 
her true feelings from father and especially and also from David, who is like the main antagonist in the book. David is the blood helmet tutu guy who is is he the war guy? Yeah, he's the he's in charge of the catalog of, of war, but he's also clearly father's favorite and 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 because so he he's he's the one who we see get cooked alive in the in the grill. Oh. And it's clear that he really hates father and he is going to do something. He he wants to kill father eventually. He just needs to to find enough information first basically. Like he has to develop the know-how to do it. Yeah. Um but uh, Carolyn doesn't doesn't like either of these people, but we aren't really privy to the reasons why. We just know that she's trying to with and, and with with some degree of success, like shield her true thoughts from them. So we know that there's stuff that she is hiding from the other people who are like her. But then also she is intertwined with this like regular human guy in a way that we also do not fully understand. Okay, this shielding thing is interesting to me. Can you just this feels like a very basic question to ask. I don't ask it every episode. But like what is her narration tone? Is it like uh is she talking to a reader? Is is it close third person? Like when this this notion of like the you the reader don't have full information like that helps a lot of books kind of stay ahead of you, but it also feels like it's very character specific. So like, it's, what's the voice like? It's close. Th- I mean, it, it is the, the voice is of a person who like sort of vaguely understands what normal human life is like, but hasn't really practiced it for a long time. It's, it's close third person. You are occasionally privy to, uh, Carolyn's thoughts. And, but the way I've, I've complained, I think in, in episodes about some books like gone girls, the one that comes the most immediately to mind, even though it's been many, many years since we read gone girl, (laughs) but that book for the first half of it, like before the twist does this irritating thing where you are, essentially inside the narrator's head, like you're inside the main character's head, but he seems to be going way out of his way, not to have the one thought that would tell you about whether he literally like yeah. killed the other okay. character. Or not. Okay. In a way that felt really contrived and, and frustrating and like does serve to heighten, you know, it, it's there it's, in it's service part of, of the, the magic trick of that book. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's there in service of the twist, but also it's like, like just do it. Just tell me already. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> I get it. I get what you're doing. Just stop doing it. But and is tell this, me the thing. are you saying this is more character driven? So I think, well, I think it's, you? I think it's done. It's clear that there's stuff you don't know, but between, uh, shifting, you know, shifting perspectives a little more nimbly. And mm-hmm. so like not being in Carolyn's head, like for huge unbroken chunks of the book. Um, and also I just, I just think it's, it's, it is clear that there's stuff you don't know. And Carolyn does think like, you know, you, you'll see a thing play out and then the little chapter will have like a little kicker that, implies to you that there's more you don't know and that not all is that as it seems, but then it goes away to another character real fast before you can get like super frustrated with it. (laughs) And then also 
the I can't think my true thoughts out loud because some of the other people in like my God family can literally read thoughts. And if they could read my thoughts, they would know what I was planning. Like there is a narrative reason for the protagonist to be staying away from thoughts about what their actual plan is. What's in, so that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And my brain is immediately contrasting it with a lot of the cut in, in like sci-fi genre post-apocalyptic stuff where there's always like a some people know the real version of what's going on here like some people know what happened or mm-hmm. like, like a reminded like you're a wizard something yeah it's like that i'm mm-hmm. thinking of the that book wool that i read where it's like everybody lives in a old grain silo in the earth or a nuclear silo or something <laughs> and some people know what's on the outside but most people don't and those books really thrive on the like the main character discovering the truth about the world around them. And this is interesting because it sounds like the main character knows way more than the reader is supposed to at any given time. And yet he's found a way to keep that from feeling like, ha ha ha, I won't tell you just for like the sake of drama. Like it yeah, is actually it's, it's a character not- thing. This kind of book or even, you know, if if it's happening in like a TV show or something like it can it can get frustrating because it feels like the author is trying to draw attention to its own to their own like cleverness. Mm. And I think it is a sometimes it can be a hallmark of a story where the twist and the fact that there is one is part of the point rather than actually doing a, a more like nuanced dis, uh, exploration of, of yeah. a character and their motivations. Sure. So if you talk about the twist and gone girl, you have, I'm not going to say you've ruined like the first half of that book, but you've made it even less. You've made there be even less of a point to it than there are. Yeah. Was, you yeah. Know what I mean, <laughs> no, that's one of the, that's one of those books that like, if you, any, no no reread is a deepening it is a mm-hmm. like how did it happen yeah right but it, it is what, not what like, happened and what happened and how and yeah. when am i going to find out it's but basically. it's not let me re-experience the first read but with you know and then i will just like kind of make some extra connections mm-hmm. um so you mentioned at the top the like character relationships and stuff so what other characters haven't we talked about how do they relate to carolyn what if if any of that is like interesting you you get snippets so aside from david you get enough about like three or four of the other kids to to the librarians i guess is the term i should use Uh, three or four of the other librarians that gives you enough information to like have some insight into them. We we know enough about them as actual like literal kids. Like so so it the adoption day is the the way it's referred um, to in the book. But you know, all of these all of these people are living in Garrison Oaks, which is this anonymous little like suburban subdivision whatever. And one day there's this incident and many of their parents and neighbors died and that's when a lot of the kids were like adopted by father and started down this road and everybody like every kid 
their path is tragic. Like David is a sadistic, horrible monster murderer man, but he didn't start that way. He started as just like an outgoing friendly kid. Yeah. And Margaret who raises people from the, she doesn't raise people from the dead. She is killed many times and explores like the, you know, the afterlife or the underworld and then is called back periodically. And this is her job is like communing with the, with the dead and like being dead. Okay. In a way that like really messes her up. Like she is, she is, I think in like pretty insane, honestly, but it's, you know, that's it. It's because she is coping with like this, like having to be killed by father over and over and over again. Um, Michael, I think is the name of the guy who communicates with animals. And he spends so much time communicating with animals that it is hard for him to be around people. It is hard for him to like speak in an, in a language that the other librarians can understand because he spends so much time, talking with animals and, and you, the way I like the way that communication between people and animals is handled in this book, because you get a, a chapter that's from the point of view of a lion and the lion hears Michael talking to him and he's like, Oh, he's speaking pretty well. There's like a hint of tiger accent, but that's still like pretty good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Do you, Okay, how do they? And then there's, and then Jennifer is the the main, like the medic of of the crew. Sure, you gotta have she one. Has to bring just bring people back from the dead over and over, and often this requires spending like days and days with the like, gruesomely murdered bodies and just like patching them back together piece by piece in a way that his she spends so much of her time utterly blitzed out of her mind on weed that mm. she that. Like she and Carolyn have a mildly friendly relationship, but Carolyn is not going to bring her more into her circle because it's clear that just like being super high all the time is the way that Jennifer has chosen to deal with the horrible stuff that she has to do all the of time. Of course. Of yeah. course. And you've said what Carolyn's deal is. What's her? Carolyn's a linguist. Okay. So she, she knows every language, including dead ones, human ones, animal ones. Like her, her job is, She's the C-3PO of, of library at Mount Char. She's flew in and over whatever, however many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know the thing. I do. That seems like <laughs> it would kind of uh, invite learning about the other domains. It might. It just might. Huh. Um, I have a question. Okay. Why is father the way he is? And... Um, why did he pick up these kids? It's so it's not clear why he is the way he is. Okay. Uh, there was this is so this is the fourth age. We're living in the fourth age. <laughs> whoa, whoa. The third age ended when father and some of his pals rose up and overthrew this guy named the Emperor. Uh, mm. And trust me, and this is this is me saying what the book says to the reader. Trust me, the Emperor was worse. Oh, okay, cool. And father is like kind of sort of benevolent comparatively kind of sort of yeah but he's really awful to all these kids specifically but does he is he out in the world doing god stuff or is he just like hey what if i rounded up 12 people and put them in my murder library he's doing god stuff in the sense that 
Earth is sort of his domain. He seems to have some kind of attachment to the people who live on it and, you know, wants good things for the, for them. And then there are also other gods who mean him harm. Oh. And you don't always, you don't really spend much time with any of them, but he like by protecting himself, he's also sort of protecting the the earth, I guess. Or so he thinks anyway. Yeah. But, but there's like this whole other, like the, the level that father and the emperor and all these other like super gods are, are operating on is just not one that we have a lot of visibility. Yeah. By, by design. This does. Um, Wow. He said, man, he did put the X-Men in his half tweet that this does feel like some X-Men lore where the there's there's stuff in the I didn't see all the Marvel movies I'm sorry but there's stuff <laughs> above you know the superheroes mm-hmm. there's like some of them are gods there's sure. stuff out in space that's like it's more than just a guy from Canada can go sneak and then he has claws and the healing factor mm-hmm. but he's a superhero yeah but there but there is like by developing these different tiers, you do have like a okay. Here's like the action-packed thrillery part where yeah. the guy with the metal bones slices apart other bad guys, yeah. and then you've above that you've got like the Professor X Magneto level where it's about like different ways that mutants should relate to humans, and so you make it more of a you keep zooming out and there are yeah. different levels of stuff that the story can spend time with depending on what it wants to be doing. Is um, is this doing some of that? I mean, kind of, I guess. Okay. Like, I'm, I too am not, like, familiar in any kind of comprehensive way with any X-Men film past, like, that X-Men. first prequel one where oh. we find out that every single thing that made any X person the way they were happened in like one week in 1966 <laughs> to all of them. <laughs> um, but the, the, but this story too is I guess working on a lot of levels because you keep getting layers of, of, you know, especially Carolyn's motivations peeled back leavened a little yeah, bit yeah. by Steve, who's just having these adventures where he's been sucked into this thing he doesn't understand. He makes friends with a lion, which is kind of awesome. Mm. Um, is Steve a lot of, I bet you're wondering how I got into this mess? I mean, he doesn't. there's never a, like a freeze frame moment like that, but he is just a normal, regular guy who is like, he's, he's seen some stuff and he's just like game to be part of the thing. He's not, he's not a character who denies the the reality of, of what he's experiencing. He's okay. a guy who's like, okay, now this happened. Ugh, what do I need to do now? <laughs> like, okay. You that know sounds I mean? charming you know I mean? actually. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty charming. And it, so it, it breaks up the slightly heavier Carolyn stuff a little bit, but let me, I mean, I guess I'll just tell you what ultimately happens because it's pretty cool. So like so if because we've ex- we've explored most of the like the characters I think a lot of the book and the charm of the book and the fun of the book is just reading about those characters and how they interact with each other and like many of them have little like snippets of backstory that makes them interesting that is doled out at a good clip through the book like it's it's not a super short book but it reads fast can I uh, um, there was a there was a bit of praise from a Dallas news review that praised the quote yikes the brakes don't work sequences like are there like 
kind of fast paced like stuff is getting out of hand probably the most like memorable like the one that's going to stick with me is okay so the the action of the book is kicked off because father is gone nobody knows where he's gone oh wow okay i was i actually meant to ask what the like the passover question the was. like inciting okay. incident yeah thing. yeah father is <laughs> father is gone no one knows what happened to him okay carolyn is is I, it sort of implies that like David wanted to kill father. And so he probably did, but um, the, like you don't get to know what happened immediately because in the middle of this like suburban subdivision that they all live in has been set up this weird, like pain thing. <laughs> it's just what like, kind like of it pain? generates a radius like it generates a perimeter around this little subdivision and anybody who any of the librarians who try to walk into it just experience this horrible, like a mind shattering pain and sometimes might even die if they go into it too far. Okay. And so that is, that is effectively a barrier that also prevents us, the reader from going in too far and finding out too much about what the story oh, is. Oh, okay. But the way that it works is that when you set up this like pain perimeter, you need to be targeting like a specific thing that the people who you want to keep out have in common. Oh, and so it's assumed through a lot of the early part of the book that it's just like all the, like all the, none of the librarians can go in there. Okay. And so that must be what they have in common. And that so doesn't th- end up being what's true, but it's, it sets up a reality where Steve, the normal guy can go in and find out more about this thing. And mm. so Carolyn sort of enlists him after resurrecting him after like the, you know, the, the killing <laughs> yeah, him sure. mishap, which is also done for a very specific reason that I won't even get into because it's too like you it could, we could spend a lot of time like with each like granular little bit of the way that the universe works, which unfortunately we just don't have time. Yeah. For. Yeah. But like everything that Carolyn is doing is b- being done with some other like ulterior motive in in mind, and like I, and when I say that, I mean literally everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> like it's, Steve has gone into this subdivision, and there are just a bunch of dogs around who guard it. They just they the the dogs guard the little subdivision, and he's been given a gun with which to protect himself sometimes, including like a clip that he is a couple of extra clips that he's duct taped to himself so he can dig them out and use them if he needs to. And he, at one point fumbles one of them and drops it on the ground. And like that was done. That was like done by Carolyn on purpose for something that happens later. It's just like every little thing that happens comes back and is a, ends up being a, an intentional plot point later on. But yeah, this this whole sequence where these dogs like slowly start following Steve through the neighborhood and then start like jumping on him and attacking him once he gets too far in. And then a couple of lions come in and like back him up. And one of the lions like bravely gives his life to defend Steve and the other lion. And then Steve and the other lion become friends. And they're just like hanging out and getting to know each other and becoming pals. <laughs> Sounds great. This sounds like when you told when we were telling me about the bears in Dark Materials. This sounds great. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. The lion doesn't like wear armor or anything, but it is a. It's. It... <laughs> yeah, it's fun. There are a lot of fun little sequences. Okay, you um, wanted to tell me big spoiler zone, like 
where this book leads to. So the deal is that Carolyn has been, you know, she's you you know from the outset that she's been concealing sort of her hatred for especially David and Father. Yeah. But kind of everybody. Sure. And you also know, like you are it is gradually revealed to you that yes, she has been reading outside of her catalog for some time now. Like she knows more than she should know about most things. She's been reading a lot from David's catalog because his is the one about war and and strategy and killing people. And that's the stuff that she needs to employ to uh, outsmart and kill David and father. But, but um, so, so you know all that from pretty early on, but it's not clear like the extent to which any of this stuff is true. But, uh, Carolyn basically like she is, she killed father. She set up this pain perimeter and has been pretending to be affected by it this whole time. She like controls the dogs that attacked Steve because she needed him to go into the perimeter to like, like everything she has done is to like deflect suspicion from herself. Um, so that David and, and whoever would not realize what was, what was coming. Okay. Basically. Um, she has like, because Steve is, is a, is a wanted man who's been, you know, he was accused of, of killing some police officer, which is another thing that Carolyn did. And so Carolyn calls the president and it's, it's, you do, there are a lot of like real people name drops, like uh, Dick Cheney is name dropped. Oh my God. Uh, Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer are both name dropped. Based on when the book was written and published, the president would be Obama, probably, but he's never named. Okay. But you do go back to, like, it's you get a reference to Cheney, and then you get a reference one time to the guy before the last guy who was, like, a an idiot womanizer. Oh, so, okay. Like, you tell me who that's supposed well, to be. <laughs> we're going to set up a pain perimeter. Mm-hmm. Look. Listen. Um. And 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 Carolyn has done that so that she calls like the the full might of the U.S. like security panopticon on herself and like the the like these black ops guys basically come in and kill all the other librarians. So Carolyn engineers the death of she has killed father. She has engineered the death of all the other librarians. She's been reading out off catalog. She manages to kill David. And, you know, man, this, it would take so long to explain everything about it, but she is, she is, she has become God. Yeah. She has set up the bomb. And also Steve was another kid who was in their little subdivision. Oh. And she had a big crush on him when they were little kids. And she (laughs) has been like keeping that flame for him alive this whole time. And so she has like brought him into the library, which is like where all this information is kept. Like it's kind of outside the flow of time and like our linear existence or whatever. I get it. Totally. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. But she's brought Steve into this. And since he's just a normal guy, he looks at all the, you know, the stuff that she has wrought and she's, and he's like, this is, you are super scary. And (laughs) I don't think like better than any of the people that you have replaced. And so there's, you know, Carolyn is, has done this because, you know, her, she is, she has rid herself of her tormentors. 
she's in charge now. And then she also gets to be with this boy who thinks she's who, who she thinks is cute. And this is going to be, you know, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be great, but it's not working out that way because Steve is like, understandably sort of terrified. of her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the last act of the book and probably what got rewritten, if you're talking about the last third of the book being re- rewritten, which we talked about, you know, earlier yep, yep. is Carolyn finds this note in the stacks of the library that's signed father and it directs her to a specific book in the library and this book has a like a directions on how to make like like a potion basically that can give you like perfect clarity of of memory so it you know how you know how memory works like you you remember how certain things make you feel but you don't remember like literally every word that you heard in a given situation or like every gesture that another person made but this potion can bring that clarity to you is that a good thing so she takes it and she her what she is remembering is this like last day of her normal american kid life before father takes her in and it turns out that father while speaking with carolyn's actual parents was saying a bunch of oblique stuff that her parents wouldn't have like, didn't really pick up on, but it's clearly basically just father recording a message for Carolyn to come back and listen to after the fact. So Carolyn, the eight year old American child who's not a librarian, doesn't understand anything about anything. She didn't, you know, it's just grown ups talking. It's blah, blah, blah. You don't listen to it. It's, it doesn't mean it. you don't understand this it. And so the you montage just kind of at the end out. of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like a, and we watch we watch the footage again, but now she's she's now hearing she's, what he's saying. Yeah, she's come back to it with with new understanding. So basically, father wants to retire. Oh my god! And don't he, we all, Dad? Yeah, yeah. So like the the what ends up being the case is like father had to. He's he runs the the universe or whatever in the fourth age. But he still has to like stick with a bunch of rules that the old emperor guy put into place. So he wants to go off with a couple of his friends and create his own universe. What, whatever. What's the Futurama line where Bender wants to go do his own thing with like booze and hookers? Like yeah. basically, <laughs> father wants to go off and create his own separate universe with booze and hookers. And, and he, so he is looking for someone to set up as as God in his place. And even though his relationship with Carolyn has been like adversarial every time you've seen them interact in flashbacks in the book, like he, he is like, they've developed their own like special language. And so the father in the memory was saying things in that language that Carolyn at the time didn't understand, but that she does understand now that she's going back and remembering everything perfectly. So it's all like secret messages about how, you know, I've got to, you're you're the one who I who I who is strong enough to like take my place. I have to make David into a horrible monster because otherwise she won't ha- become strong enough. Yeah, to, like yep. you need to have an adversary who who makes you strong enough to replace me. Like it's all it's all a grand plan of of fathers that at, mm. at the end of the day. But then also there's this note where. 
father is like, yeah, I'm a super, I'm a super powerful guy. And in becoming that, I sort of lost a certain like concern with and connection to like everyday people and the things that they need and the things that they want. And it's like, I have, I have lost my ability to like relate to people and to care about people. And I didn't realize that I had done that until it was too late to get it back. But maybe, you know, my, maybe my successor can do a, do a better job of like retaining their humanity for lack of a better word while also being God. Huh? (laughs) And so the whole, like the, the last act of the book is about both Steve and father sort of bringing Carolyn back from the brink of being as bad as the people that she has just overthrown. Mm. And like, that's the, that's as detailed as I can be without opening another like 15 minutes of conversation. (laughs) But it's, but it ends up like it's a lot of, it's a lot of twisting, but I think even though we've, we, uh, even though I've described a bunch of what happens, I think if you went to read this book, you know, knowing that that some of the twists are coming, it would still be satisfying to see the character relationships and arcs play out. It'd still be, you know, it, it would still be like the point of the book is not the twistiness. Like the twists yeah. are fun. There are a lot more than I haven't talked about. But at the end of the day, it's these it's these relationships between humans that makes the book feel different and which makes it harder to categorize than some other like fantasy sci-fi stuff. Well, which I think is maybe what Schwab was responding to. You've described a lot of this like in pretty like rapid, like you have to talk through it to like, just get it down on tape. (laughs) But it, I, I know from experience when you do that and you think that the book is doing it too quickly and like, that's not a good thing. Like it sounds like this, the book earns, all of the things that you've just, at least in your read, it earned most of these things along the way as yeah, opposed to like, yeah, yeah. and then this happens and then this happens and then mm-hmm. just whatever happens because it's the, it's the book that I wrote. Yeah, it, 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 the book sort of defies the, the quick pithy summary that, that especially me, but I think either of us can do when we need to describe the story of a book that we're not vibing with. Super yeah. Hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but this, this one is just very, it's very dense and it's everything is interconnected in a way that is hard to pull apart because if you pull any thread, then, you know, a whole sweater worth of yarn comes away in your hands eventually before you've gone very far. <laughs> <laughs> and then you don't have a sweater anymore. Yeah. And then you don't have a sweater and then you write a song about it. For your only good album. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's a joke for like four people. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you had a fun time reading this book. Linux people and Weezer fans coming away from this episode wow. feeling pretty banged up, I think. Ooh. And oh, I apologize. And just like, this is a, we talked a lot. Like This is a standalone work. We have no notion of what a sequel is it doesn't sound like it was written like it's like setting up a thing it sounds like it's yeah, pretty complete i i think and we we talked about like i i brought up when because when we do a show like when the person who reads the book sometimes will suggest like specific avenues of research that might be useful to the person who's bringing like the author and the and, and context yeah. part and i thought there there are a lot of there are a lot of specific visual things in this book, like the dog battle 
and the lion friend and the murderous blood man in a tutu that seem made for a like a TV adaptation. Yeah. And so I was I'm I was a little I'm a little surprised to know that this hasn't been adapted honestly cuz like everything else has been like I, multiple I couldn't times. yeah, I couldn't find anything and uh maybe I don't know, maybe it's just like where he is in his life that he was just like I'm going to take the time to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um and it also sounded like he was like, you know, kind of ramping up to stuff uh publicly and then, you know, we've the world has been different for a few years now, so maybe yeah. he just kind of did what he needed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it it would be hard to do a sequel to this because yeah. either you end up focusing on this higher like God battle plane of which, existence and then maybe you lose like, some of the humanity yeah. of the of the first book, or you dive back into you like you try to recreate some of the same dynamics and relationships of the first book in which case it's like you had to plan for like 25 years to kill god the first time and now you're doing a whole nother <laughs> thing again like well, by the seat of your pants like either it you, either it becomes like a sherlocky thing where it's like oh i during the whole events of the first book when i was doing all these intricate plans i also was acting on this whole other layer of intricate plans that is only steve had his own plans yeah like it's only become gonna become clear in the sequel or it's like well in six months i have to do the amount of setup and planning that i did in in two decades yeah yeah. and neither one sounds like it would be particularly satisfying so yeah it's tough i hope he cracks his uh noir scooby-doo See how that I hope goes. he does too. Yeah, seems like an inventive guy who mm-hmm. I guess is also good at programming. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to you, Scott. Andrew. Good job, Scott. Thanks for telling me about this book, but you're welcome. Happy it's to be good back. to be back. It We're is. back. We're back, <laughs> and it's great. Um, if you are listening and you're back, uh, thanks for being here. You can send us an email uh about what part of the library you would specialize in over from their perspective craig you know what's you know what's wild is that from their perspective we never left that's true (laughs) they've heard exactly the same amount of us on the same cadence as (laughs) they did in the before times and it's merely we who have been on a break that's true that's true um we were on a break uh wow funny (laughs) funny stuff Send us an email, odupod at gmail.com. Uh, our social media handle for whatever social media <laughs> services exist uh, is at overduepod. Uh, thanks to Maggie, Amanda, Ann, Kirk, Finch, Sean, Regular Bird, Carolyn, Christy, Nicole, and many more for reaching out to us uh, in the last week or so. Uh, I think those names are from. Time is a, f- is a funny thing. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to our Patreon project, which you can use to support the site. Get uh, Support the site. Support the podcast. <laughs> which, I mean, I guess the site is one element If you of the love podcast. that website and you want it to keep going. If you love that website and you want to keep the domain name registered, then <laughs> patreon.com slash overduepod is the place you want to go. You can also get bonus episodes early, including... Our upcoming long read project. Have we announced this on the main feed yet? No, we have not at all. All right, we should do it though. Yeah. So our next thing is going to be, uh, it's called Sand by Me, and it is a 
a volume by volume exploration of Neil Gaiman's Sandman graphic novel series, which I am, which was adapted for Netflix recently. Um, I think it's a pretty, like pretty good adaptation. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, for such a weird twisty comic, it is a surprisingly straightforward adaptation. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, with that, we're going to be doing that. Um, Goosebumps is, is wrapping up and we've had a great time, but we, I think that, uh, sand by me is going to be the bridge that gets us to Emily Wilson's, uh, Iliad translation. Fingers crossed. Are, yeah. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Uh, so we're going to be reading that. Uh, and then did I, I, we haven't announced the December or yeah, we haven't announced the December schedule on the show yet either, but we've got it pretty much figured out. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Let me pull. Where is it? It's here somewhere in my notes. I can tell you next week, uh, I'm going to be talking about a room with a view by EM Forster. We have a poll at patreon.com. That'll be wrapping, uh, by the time this episode, goes up that should tell us which uh wintry book we're going to be reading so keep an eye out for that Mm -hmm. uh and then we're reading elves with benefits reindeer falls book four by Jana astin uh for our happy horny days uh book for the i like that we made it happy horny days and not horny holidays yeah i think think that's i think it's good (laughs) that we did that uh and we are going to do a bonus stream by the end of the month uh patreon supporters keep an eye out for that it's gonna be a q a stream so anybody uh cues we got a's yeah send us an email or like don't yeah send us an email or like i guess like a dm on platforms that have that because it's easier to track um i think we'll we'll track our our menchies too but yeah if you want to guarantee that we see it probably email is the most permanent thing and then you know with a subject line like q a but 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 whatever you want to say. Yeah, and, and people in the people in the Discord probably can just like ping us too. It'll yeah, be fine. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you want to hang out with us in the Discord, join the Patreon. That's where that goes. Yeah, uh, I think that's it. I think we I think we did great for I having think, not done this for two months. Yeah, I'm a little like kind of manic about it. I like, do feel like I have not talked this long at this like in this specific. I have not used yeah podcast voice. Which is which exists on the spectrum somewhere between inside voice and outside voice <laughs> this long in a long time, and I feel like I need to go have some uh, like seltzer or something. Yeah, <laughs> but, that sounds about right. But I think we did. I think we did fine. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Thank we're, you so we're much. Back. Yeah, we're back. Thank you so much. Uh, get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.